Hi, and welcome back. We're now moving into the next stage, the next stage of our discussion, which is chukim. Now, when you hear the word chukim, well, actually, to just bring us round again to the whole discussion, we're going through Rav Hirsch's work, Chorev, his magnum opus, his Tami HaMitzvahs, his infusing the spirit back into Jewish law, taking the mummification that was done to Judaism and reinvesting it with the spirit, rather than it being these sort of rote things you do because you were told to do them, things that engage your heart, your mind, your, your, your emotional side into the relationship with Hashem, thereby the mitzvahs become a vehicle towards the purpose of Judaism. Now that's important to have at the forefront of our minds because when we talk about categories of commandments, which we've got six, which we've been through, toirois, the philosophical, that are supposed to be lived out in action, the eidos, which are the symbolic, which are supposed to be the embodying of truths, mishpotim, which are the laws of justice and society, now chukim, they all feed into the general framework of what Judaism is trying to achieve. What is Judaism trying to achieve? What is the goal of Judaism from within itself? This Rav Hirsch develops in the 19 letters, amongst his other works, which, putting it very simple, is the propagation or the working towards love and justice, and the education towards love and justice to ourselves and the world. That's the goal, in a nutshell. Obviously, it needs to be developed, but simply speaking, we're trying to live out these principles of love and justice to the world. Now, on a symbolic, structural level, you have this with the Torahs and the Eidos. On the practical level, you see them being lived out in Mishpotim, through justice directly. Chukim, statutes. Well, what are they? Mitzvos, which we will get to next time, which are the precepts of love that you give without without them having a demand on you. But we're in Chukim now, and this still falls squarely in the category of justice. Now, we know the Sifri, the, the Medrash, the idea that Chukim are those which are not understood. They are beyond the realm of reason, is often how they're described. Now, what does that mean? Well, Mishpatim are often categorized under the idea that I understand what a mishpot is because I'm a human being. I know what it means to be a human being. I know certain things are unjust. I know I don't want to be hit in the face with a sledgehammer, thereby I shouldn't do it to someone else. I know what it means to act without justice because I know what it means to be a sentient, conscious human being, and I don't want to do that to other people. I don't want someone to take my things, so don't take other people's things. It's intuitive. It makes sense. Yes, if we dig deeper, and this is an idea that Dein Grunfeld points out, if we dig deeper, Mishpotim have an intuitive feel to them, but their underlying ought, their underlying demand on us isn't rational in the absolute sense of the word. It still relies on a demand from the outside. The classic way Judaism looks at the moral life, which is that there is something that is beyond our mere experience that calls on me to act in a certain way. We call that Hashem. We call that God. We call that the creator of existence. That is still needed. Just because mishpatim are intuitive doesn't mean you can forego with the ground of demand that we look at the Torah as being. Yes, you can engage in it for societal reasons, for a, uh, the social contract, for a healthy, stable societal norms, but to demand it of you, even when it, you, it would be within your interest to move away from them, obviously people do this and 
of course, we, 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 we probably would all enact in this way, perhaps naturally. But when we dig deep for that ultimate demand, it's still going to have a metaphysical basis, even though on an intuitive level, mishpatim makes sense. Rav Hirsch's innovation when it comes to chukim is he says they're exactly the same. Yes, chukim are described as that which cannot be understood, and there's an aspect of that that's true, but not the aspect that I can't ground them in a rational principle. The rational principle is justice. The only difference between chukim and mishpatim is that when it comes to mishpatim, I have the intuition. When it comes to chukim, I don't have the intuition. Why not? Because when it comes to chukim, statutes, where is their line of authority? Well, their authority lies in the area of things that I don't actually have the perspective of. I can take the human perspective. Mishpatim, don't steal, don't abuse, don't all these things that demand the human perspective. But chukim, I cannot take the animal perspective. I can take the animal perspective to the, to the extent that suffering is bad, but to understand why I shouldn't cause sa, pain, to an animal, the same argumentation will not work why I can't cause this pain to a human being. I know in modern times they try and blur those lines, but Judaism stands firmly against the blurring of the line. I don't cause pain to animals, maybe because of an intuitive level, I don't want to, but it's not the same sort of intuition that plays out when I don't hurt another human being. It's a completely different category. Why shouldn't I mix certain species? Rav Hirsch says, because you cannot take the perspective of agriculture. You cannot take the perspective of other creations in God's world. Your soul, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. These are all calling, mixing milk and meat. These are all callings to you from a perspective that you cannot take. Tuma, Tahara, the nature of reality that we don't have the perspective of. How I think that will affect me or not affect me isn't up to me to decide. Because chukim play in the playground of principles that I cannot take that perspective. So to perhaps uh, feed in another idea. Eating not kosher food if you're a Jew. Why shouldn't I? That person can say because it's a chayk. No one knows the reason. Rav Hirsch doesn't say that. Rav Hirsch says because I'm living out a principle of justice towards my being, my body, my soul, the food that I consume. Because God has commanded me to do so. I'm committed that there is a reason at its core that relates to the justice towards myself or the food. Thereby, I don't look at the commandments as being arbitrary. They have a reason. This also follows through in the different midrashim that discuss different people who knew the reasons for certain commandments. But it's worth pointing out that when Refersh says that, okay, I can see that they're predicated on justice. Now, that basis for saying they're predicated on justice is that God doesn't do things randomly. And God is asking us to live out our lives in the pursuit of love and justice. Now, these principles he obviously has to justify elsewhere, especially when it comes to chukim, which has this traditional, morphous feel to it that we don't understand what they're talking about. But if Rav Hirsch can structure his vision of the world, that chukim are predicated on justice, I can then start talking about reasons for the chukim. Now, same with Mishpatim. I can propose reasons. The same for the Eidos. I can propose reasons. And as Rav Hirsch stresses, the acceptance or rejection of these ideas will be based off their probability, based off their convincingness for all intents and purposes. It's in the realm of Agada. He's not giving us halacha here, but he's giving us the spirit. He's giving us the 
that which will infuse these dry bones of rote and ritual. He's giving us the spirit that allows it to become part of our being in a way that mere action is lacking. Thereby, Judaism becomes infused with meaning. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to go on the journey of discussing the different chukim. And not that this applies in today's day and age, but Rav Hirsch plays this out when it comes to the karbonos. He plays this out when it comes to the para aduma, each stage of the para aduma, what it is trying to do in relationship to the concept of impurity and purity. Thereby, he has a philosophy of purity and impurity. And if it makes sense, we'll definitely develop it within these discussions. So, to recap our point, we spoke about our next stage, which is the stage of Chukim. And we spoke about how they differ from Mishpatim, that they lack that intuition. But the same when it comes to Chukim, sorry, the same when it comes to Mishpatim, if you dig deep, you're always going to require that demand from the outside. You're always going to require that metaphysical ought that is lacking from a secular perspective. Meaning, when we say Mishpatim are rational, we mean that they have an intuition. You can argue for them based off your humanity. But if I want to argue for the oughtness of it, the converting the is of the being alive to the ought of that it calls on me to act in a way when it's against my self-interest, that still requires something more metaphysical. You can't get there purely by molecules in motion. You can get to a whole bunch of arguments why it may be a good idea, but not what we're talking about when we speak about the moral ought. That comes from the outside, even when it comes to Mishpatim. Chukim, obviously you have that as well, but also you don't have the intuition, which is why Chazal tell us that we will be ridiculed by the nations of the world and the Yetzirah on the basis of the Chukim, because it lacks that intuition, it lacks that pull. But the answer to that is that it might lack the pull, but it doesn't lack the rational principle of justice. Thereby why I'm engaging in Chukim, I'm engaging in justice. There are premises I don't have. Correct. But on that basis, Rav Hirsch will go on the journey of explaining the chukim. So, I really do hope you will join me for this journey. If there are any questions, as always, call me or message me at similearner at gmail.com. And yes, have a wonderful upcoming week.